Welcome campers, Jordan here. Just a quick word before we get into things about what we're doing this week. Back in September of 2021, we released our 11th episode detailing the life and legend of John Edmonds and his experiences on Stardust Ranch. Unfortunately, just five months later, in February of 2022, Mr. Edmonds passed away. Obviously, our hearts go out to his wife, Joyce, and the rest of his family and friends. See, John left behind a legacy as mysterious as the property he owned. Stardust Ranch, you saw all the time featured in the media for unusual stories about extraterrestrial activity, portals, Bigfoots. But the ranch became more than just a home under John's stewardship. It was a beacon for those intrigued by the unknown, and a testament to John's unique character. He was not just a ranch owner, he was a storyteller, a seeker of truth, and a man who, whether you believed his tales or not, challenged the boundaries of our understanding of the universe. His detailed accounts of encounters with the unknown captured the imagination of people all over the world, inviting both skepticism and wonder in equal measure. In his life, John Edmonds embodied the spirit of exploration and curiosity. His stories encouraged others to look beyond the visible and question the nature of our world. One of our greatest regrets in our time making this show is that we never had the honor of sitting down with him for a fireside chat. So now, as we remember John on the second anniversary of his untimely passing, We reflect not just on the tales of Stardust Ranch, but on the man who brought them to life. His legacy is not merely in the stories he leaves behind, but in the spirit of inquiry and the open-mindedness he championed. John Edmonds has been missed, he will continue to be missed. But the mystery of Stardust Ranch and the questions it raises will undoubtedly go on to inspire Forteans for generations to come. Thank you, John. On with the show. This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Stardust Ranch. Nearly an hour west of the busy streets of Phoenix, Arizona, Rainbow Valley is a lightly populated and unincorporated community spread wide across the supine sands and stagnant scrub brush of western Arizona. Hemmed in on all sides by the ranges of the Phoenix Mountains, this prosaic parcel boasts one of the least polluted views of the night sky available today. 
Maybe it is the lack of light pollution, or the stodgy and sometimes spiritless surroundings that have residents almost constantly looking up. According to one local couple, the situation here in this sleepy settlement is something far more insidious than most would acknowledge or even believe. In the late afternoon of September 12, 1996, John Edmonds decided he was finished moving furniture and emptying boxes for the day. He stopped by the kitchen for an ice-cold beer and found a seat on the porch that overlooked most of the newly acquired and sprawling 10-acre Stardust Ranch. John had fallen in love with the property immediately upon visiting. The impressive acreage and two-horse corrals would allow him to fulfill a lifelong dream. He had always wanted to create a place where neglected and injured horses could be rehabilitated. Now, with the acquisition of their new home, this dream could be realized. Leaning back in his rocking chair and putting his feet up on the railing, he had just begun to relax for the first time in hours when he noticed meaningful movement in the brush near the edge of his property. He watched, somewhat unnerved, as a man walked through the tree line and began moving intently toward the house. No guests were expected, and certainly no one that would be approaching the homestead on foot. Already nervous about the look of him, when John noticed that the man was carrying something long and metal, he sat his beer on the railing and rushed into the house to retrieve his pistol. Wanting to give his unwanted visitor plenty of warning, he stepped down off his porch, carrying the firearm openly, and began striding toward him. It occurred to John that this may have something to do with an issue that had occurred with some of the previous occupants' belongings. A few days earlier, when John and his wife Joyce had first used their keys, they unexpectedly found that their home was still filled with old furnishings and decor. This was not a few things here and there that the previous owners may have left behind due to inconvenience or ambivalence. This looked to them as if someone had left in a hurry. Blankets were draped over beds, flatware still in drawers, and even toothbrushes placed in cups on the bathroom sink. They immediately reached out to their real estate agent for an explanation. The agent apologized and promised that given an extra day, they would contact the former occupants and have the home emptied entirely for them. When John came back the following morning, he did find an empty house, but bizarrely everything that filled the house the day before had been broken into pieces and dumped into the empty pool in the backyard. When John called the agent back, enraged by the additional work that had been created for him, the agent had no idea what he was talking about. They claimed that they had reached out to the previous owner but had not heard anything from them. On the third day, his patience ran out. He arranged to have a company come and remove the mess from his property. He hadn't given it another thought until the man showed up in the front yard. The two men approached, stopping just short of five feet from each other. John immediately noticed a strong, sour smell coming from the man, who was dressed in torn-up army fatigues. He immediately assumed that he was dealing with some kind of drunk or vagrant. His messy hair and nearly vacant stare made John nervous, but it was the rusted old machete at his side that kept his hand on the revolver. When the tension came to a near boiling point, the stranger finally spoke in a startling, raspy whisper. He claimed to have been employed by the previous owners. Still unsure of the grizzled geezer's intentions, John held firm to his revolver and explained that the property had changed hands. 
He motioned toward the rusted machete and asked what it was for. The simple and nonchalantly delivered response would prove to foreshadow the turmoil lurking just beyond the next corner of Edmonds's life. The ragged ranger stared directly into his eyes and replied with four words that John would play back in his head every night in bed. It's for killing monsters. Now John didn't know what to think. He took two steps back from the man and tried to laugh it off. He explained that the property would no longer be in need of a monster hunter. Monster free zone here. Go ahead and find your way out, he chuckled as he walked back to the porch. The man turned and began to walk away from the house, muttering about how John would be sorry all the while. As Edmonds watched him walk across the field and back through the tree line on the far side of the property, he realized that at some point he had broken out in a cold sweat. The next six weeks went exactly as planned. They made their business known to the area, and it wasn't long before locals and animal control from around the state began bringing horses in need of care to their ranch. The location turned out to work perfectly for their needs. Rural enough to allow for adequate space, but close enough to Phoenix for supplies to never be out of reach. The only issue that they encountered initially was what they assumed to be a damaged phone line. After scheduling and being stood up for four separate appointments for service with the phone company, John began to suspect that the property may have a reputation that they were not made aware of. Finally, he drove to the phone company and lodged a formal complaint. This action finally resulted in one rushed appearance from a phone line repairman. The repairman made his nervous rush so obvious that John insisted he explain his urgency. Never stopping the work, the anxious attendant explained that the ranch was cursed. This was common knowledge to everyone living in the area, and they did all that they could to avoid ever having to set foot on the property. Very soon it was made obvious to John that this avoidance did not extend to all residents of Rainbow Valley. As the sun rose over the eastern border of Stardust Ranch, John made his morning rounds, checking fence rows and holding pens and scheduling his work for the day. It wasn't long before he noticed some obvious damage to several spots in the fence of the corral. He was baffled by the extent of the damage. At least ten of the fence posts had been ripped from the ground and twisted into near pretzels. He was confused considering these posts were buried in a fence row not 100 yards from his bedroom window. He didn't understand how this kind of damage could be done without alerting him or his wife. Unfortunately, this bit of miraculous mischief would not be the end of vandalism on the ranch. Over the next several weeks, the frequency and damage done during these incidents would get significantly worse. In addition, he began waking in the night to intensely loud monotone humming. He would race out the back door with a spotlight, but could never identify a possible source. This constantly increasing chaos came to a climax some weeks later with the incomprehensible demise of a horse that they had just taken in the previous day. John had gotten into the habit of touring the grounds around the homestead first thing every morning. He was a man with a self-proclaimed iron stomach, but what he saw in the nearby horse corral that morning made him thankful that he hadn't eaten breakfast yet. The horse lay just 30 feet from the front door. It had been strangled to death with a heavy iron fence post. The inch-thick iron had been bent and warped around the horse's thickly muscled neck. As John sat pondering what could possibly have created such carnage, 
Joyce finally revealed that she had felt like she was being watched since the day they moved in. The feeling had been getting worse over the last few weeks and was reaching the point where it was nearly unbearable. She had even started noticing shadow figures in her peripheral vision following her throughout the house. John attempted to rationalize the situation. He insisted that what she was experiencing was an obvious sign of exhaustion and restlessness brought on by the rash of vandalism. While he could explain away these shadow figures, to say that the bizarre death of this horse set him on edge would be an understatement. In an attempt to shore up the defenses of their home, he began stashing weapons in carefully planned locations all over the home. The next five weeks were peaceful. No vandalism, no humming, no more dead horses. John took this as a sign that he had handled the situation correctly. But it would not be long before this entire situation took a sharp turn toward the terrifying. Well over a month after the initial incidents, John lay in bed restless, unable to fall asleep. He stared across the dark room when suddenly the shadows on the far wall began to bend and wobble. He quickly wrote it off as a trick of the eyes and raised his hand to rub them. As the phosphenic light show on his eyelids faded, he realized that the modulating darkness across from him had coalesced into a trio of dense black figures. Fight or flight did not kick in. John felt as though he were glued to the bed as the sinister shapes ignored him entirely and approached his wife who slept peacefully next to him in bed. He felt the sweat pouring down his face. He struggled with all of his might just to raise his index finger from its place on the bed sheet. As one of the figures leaned what appeared to be its head down near the face of his sleeping wife, he felt his body fill with a fury that he had never known. As soon as his finger lifted from the bed, he felt as though he'd been launched from a slingshot. He roared into action, jumping from the bed and grabbing the Louisville slugger from between the bed and the bedside table. He bounded across the space and around the bed, swinging the bat wildly in the direction of these pernicious prowlers. On the third swing, he felt and heard the maple club connect with the head of the nearest creeper with a sickening squelch. Something between a deafening scream and a high-pitched hum suddenly filled the room, nearly bringing John to his knees, and the gloomy ghouls vanished before his eyes. As the ringing in his ears faded, he realized that Joyce had awoken and was obviously confused about him standing over her with a baseball bat while she slept. He dropped the bat and explained what had just happened in their bedroom. She insisted that they call the police. A brief assessment of the property by law enforcement yielded no evidence to support John's claims of a trio of inky intruders. In fact, the police found the numerous caches of weapons scattered about the property much more interesting. And as so often happens in these cases, dismissal of the situation by the police seemed to serve as fuel for the Fortean fire. These fights for he and his wife's lives quickly became a weekly occurrence. Edmonds became obsessed with the possibility of attack, and would spend his evening watching over Joyce while she slept. He began to hear the low humming every night and had determined that it was coming from somewhere on the western side of the property. On more than one occasion while this humming was at its peak, he saw through the window what he described as a portal opening up in the night sky, floating vertical white disks of light that would fill the surrounding darkness with illumination. Eventually he began seeing indescribable aircrafts and light orbs coming and going through the portals that would immediately close and vanish from existence. On more than one occasion, 
John reported seeing what appeared to be military aircraft chasing these crafts and orbs. He became convinced that the powers that be were fully aware of the situation that he and his wife were living with. Throughout this time, break-ins by these baneful burglars continued on a near-nightly basis. Over time, he began to learn about their habits and tactics. At nearly four feet tall with freezing cold, coal-black skin, they always stayed in packs of three and moved freely through solid objects, namely closed doors and locked windows. On several occasions, Edmonds was forced to resort to all-out violence. He would defend himself and his wife using everything from knives and screwdrivers to clubs and on one occasion even fired a few shots at them. When wounded, the creatures bled a liquid that was something akin to brake fluid. The Edmonds had several dogs on the property, and they were fascinated by these entities. Once during a particularly high point of the property's activity, their Rottweiler began chasing a group across the front yard. It caught up with them and sunk its teeth into the leg of the slowest in the group. The creature shrieked and vanished into thin air. In a tragic turn of events, the dog started choking soon after and died later that evening. The Edmonds lost a total of four dogs to similar situations, and the suffering of animals was not limited to their pets. Over the first decade of their residency there, they would have more than 15 occasions of horse mutilation. In the hours just before sunrise, John and Joyce often saw what they came to refer to as Barillo men, these hulking hellions that resembled something like the living silhouette of a Sasquatch skulked the perimeters of their property. They seemed to survey various other paranormal activities. Neither resident of the ranch ever had the urge or bravery to approach one of these enormous entities. While John tried his very best, it was impossible for him to play the sentinel perpetually. And while he made quite the effort, often staying awake for periods of time that most would bulk at, he did, on occasion, fall out from absolute fatigue. On one of these occasions, he collapsed to sleep in the armchair facing his wife who was asleep in their bed. At some point in the night, he woke suddenly, his body filled with adrenaline. Even with the paranormal hellscape that had become his day-to-day, -day, what he saw when his eyes snapped open would be burned into his psyche for decades to come. Though his wife remained asleep, she was floating some three feet above the bed, arms dangling at her sides. She was almost entirely enveloped by a near-blinding white light coming in through the open window. As she began floating toward the source of light, John broke into action. He retrieved his rifle from behind the wardrobe and raced toward the open window. He expected to feel heat as he intersected the beam of light and vaulted through the opening, but was surprised to find that the air was nearly freezing. He couldn't see what the source of light was, but he aimed at it and unloaded an entire magazine into it. Over the automatic fire of the weapon, he heard bullets impacting something metal. But the light continued to hold his helpless wife uninterrupted. Now frustrated as well as terrified, he ejected the magazine and reloaded. He began firing again. Near the end of the second clip, the light began to flicker and then vanished. Fighting the lasting gleam of gunfire and otherworldly illumination in his eyes, he struggled to focus on the source of the light, but saw a dark figure rush straight up into the sky and through a portal above their home. Rushing back into the house, John found his wife crumpled in the corner of their bedroom, sobbing. Shadow creatures and sightings in the sky had been one thing, 
but this attempted abduction shook them both to the core. They agreed that from now on, they would handcuff themselves to the bed frame while sleeping. Try as they might, this did not stop a new phenomenon from entering their lives. Soon after this event, they both began to experience periods of missing time, time that ranged from a few minutes to more than a day. Often when waking, they would discover unexplainable injuries on various parts of their bodies. These included what looked like fully healed deep wounds, as if they had been inflicted months ago. At this point, the Edmonds were at their wit's end. John reached out to the media in a plea for assistance from anyone who may be willing and able to help them remove or manage this chaos that had overtaken their lives. Over the next few months, he began to do interviews on both radio and television. He invited research teams and ufologists to visit the ranch. Nothing helped. The level of daily activity would ebb and flow, but it never stopped. John and Joyce spent 20 years enduring this until they finally threw in the towel. It was the fall of 2016 when they officially sold the ranch and moved away. And locals still say that unexplained lights and odd figures can be seen on a frequent basis if you're paying attention to the view of Stardust Ranch. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. So first of all, they stayed there for 20 years. 20 years. Like, why the fuck would they do that? Dude, I don't... I mean, it was their dream home, I guess. It was their dream home, but the fact that he's having to fight off obviously aliens yeah on a weekly basis right yeah most nights and i mean even waking up in the middle of his wife basically being abducted being pulled in a like beam like yeah that to me is is nuts like why would they why would they continue to endure that that to me is just baffling yeah he john edmonds claims that over the 20 years they were there that he killed 18 of the shadow creatures 18 18 so what what did he do with the bodies they vanished did they just disappear yeah okay so i know you mentioned a lot of them especially any that he like came in contact with or uh you know hit with his bat or shot or whatever else like we're able to escape into their portal or whatever yep um but yeah that's that's crazy yeah 18 that's almost one a year i mean yeah so unfortunately, they disappeared though, because that'd be a lot of uh, that could be some evidence that he could have been like, "Look, this is what's happening." Yeah. Now, as far as evidence goes, in 2013, he actually did turn in. He sent a tissue sample and a sample of the fluid. The break like he said that fluid, when they bled, yeah. it was something like, yeah. So he sent some of that fluid and what he called a tissue sample into a biologist, William Levengood. Okay. So they found that the tissue sample was unlike anything that had ever been examined before. Okay. Standard answer, right? But the fluid was weird. It was 90% chlorophyll. So it's like, and apparently that's like a substance that's known to ufologists because it's, I mean, I know what chlorophyll is, but this specific blend, this like 90% chlorophyll 
fluid is found apparently at like the vast majority of cattle mutilations. Okay. They find the that makes, same fluid. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, since they had so many cattle yeah, mutilations. Yeah. But the super weird thing about the biologist, so he was like, the biologist became convinced, right? Like, and they formed a plan together that they were going to like, he, the biologist was going to reach out to the rest of the scientific community and like make his results known and okay. all that. And then John didn't hear back from him for a while. When he tried to get in contact with him, he found out that he died. Well, that's convenient. Okay. Yeah, so the biologist dies, and then three days after the biologist died, his entire lab burnt to the ground. Of course it did. Yeah, filled with ah. all the samples. And less than two months after he died, his wife, who was also a molecular biologist, well, died. Well, that's not shady or anything. Obviously, somebody's out there trying to prevent anybody right? from finding anything out. That was the craziest part of the story for me, that, like... Yeah, that's and that was the only person that literally would believe his story or like actually buy into what was going on. I mean, he would give it any like any validity, you know, like to back him up scientifically. Yeah. Did he ever try reaching out to like any other like any other biologists or anything like that to like especially after that guy happened to mysteriously die? I mean, yeah, I think um, I think he had the last of his samples when his lab burnt down. That was in 2013, so that was just like three years before they finally gave up and moved out. Yeah, they still stayed there for 20 years. That that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, I mean, especially, and you said it was what? They had roughly, uh, I think it was 15 occasions yeah. of their horses being mutilated. Um, so that's one thing. Right, that's literally just one thing. Yeah, I mean, the dude wakes up in the middle of, an, of the night, and his wife is levitating over the bed. That's another. That's just a, a separate incident. Yeah. Many other occasions, he sees these figures randomly disappearing into a portal, seeing "quote unquote" spaceships or flying objects flying in and out of these portals, seeing military craft, like yeah. chasing, you know, so, chasing them. I mean, if it were me, given that situation, giving that entire scenario, I mean, no, dude, I would be, I would be out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that would be enough to make any sane, normal person it, just, yeah, instantly. I mean, him waking up to see his wife floating above the bed—that would have been the last straw for me. I'd be like, nope, I'm done. I'm done. All right. Oh yeah, that's it. That's it, right? No, that that's so stupid to me because, I mean, at the same time, like I was thinking, like they're they're staying handcuffed to the bed. Why not pull both? Take yep. the whole fucking bed. Yeah, fuck sleeping while you're handcuffed to the bed. No, you just sleep somewhere else. <laughs> that's right? so silly. Nothing. And also, I mean, if they wanted to, I'm sure they could break those cuffs. They could pick the lock. They could probably do some hoodoo voodoo magic that aliens do, and just oh, and yeah. silly, they're gone. Right, so like I don't understand any type of rationalization yeah. in that thought process at all. Like to me, that's just so it's dumb. It's them like applying. It's like them applying right, but normal. They're, they were like, obviously not dealing with that. Terrestrial physics to what the aliens <laughs> are doing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that just yeah. that made me laugh a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it's pretty silly. Just, 
so like okay the, also the previous owner came out after he did and her name was gina irons she said that like she also encountered ghostly figures walking through the house like shadow figures and that she always knew when they were coming because the temperature in the room would like plummet right before she saw them so are we dealing with ghosts are we dealing with aliens or was she dealing with maybe something more ghostly like because i mean his uh, john's story first of all it's definitely alien i mean that's very obvious it's very evident you're right it's very see that's what i think i i think i think aliens but that brings up a good question because you know of course he did paranormal frat boy zach baggins came in there yeah in 2015 (laughs) in 2015 he came in okay so okay they captured while they were there they were there for a week on stardust ranch they like camp i'm gonna have to check it out it it actually they actually aired the episode too Uh, okay cool yeah awesome i'll have to find it out yeah they spent a week there they captured unexplained lights strange figures moving around the property and one of the crew members woke to find unexplained just like every other ghost adventures episode um, wow Uh, who would have thought yeah exactly weird like, I'm pretty sure Zach Baggins is just back there, like, punching his crew in the arm when the cameras aren't on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming he also got deathly ill and felt like he was being possessed at some point. Because <laughs> that's that's normal Zach Baggins. Probably. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's what he does. Yeah. So, like, their conclusion was that it okay. wasn't extraterrestrial because that wouldn't fit the theme of their show. Um, so their conclusion was that it was demonic forces pretending to be aliens. Oh man, <laughs> are you kidding me? No. So and their reasoning, was, their reasoning. I was jokingly going to but, say they probably yeah. thought it was some demon yeah, or exactly. something, but no way. Okay, so oh my god, their reasoning for this was when they would read prayers and Bible verses, the activity would stop. That's some pretty damn solid evidence. That's what they though. based it on entirely. Like, I mean, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that's like maybe that's legit science. And this is this is my theory. You know, now that now now that we're you know coming out with it, I'm gonna assume this alien race. Uh, just, I I want to say we're dealing with aliens. It's obviously nothing else. I mean, you know, obviously, obviously. Sure. I, I think it fits perfectly. So maybe. They were just like I like aliens man. for this. Yeah. Like they think this is going to scare us away. Like let's just fuck with them. Let's fuck with them. You know, they're spouting off this random bullshit like, you know, like we know what's not real. We know, you know, but maybe the, maybe that's maybe that's all of us. Maybe they were fucking with them or maybe it was just like it was something they just didn't really care about them. Like as a group, maybe they they weren't there for them. They were there for you know the people that lived in the house john and his wife sure or john's wife specifically like they didn't really seem to give a shit about him like it was it was the wife that was right and it's always the wife and the children like that's in in any type of abduction they were very interested in generally always the wife and the children i mean fucking any paranormal case 
You know, whether it be aliens, demonic possession, things yeah. like that. Generally, the women and the children. Like, I don't know what it is about them. Uh, maybe yeah, they're that, just yeah. more susceptible to it, or maybe they're just more, uh, I, I don't know, easier yeah. to manipulate or, or something. But, yeah. That's, that's crazy, yeah. though. I mean, I can... I can picture the alien like, you think we came a thousand light years across the universe to be spikings. scared off by a grown man that uses hair gel? It also kind of talks like this because he's Zach Baggins. No, no diss to anybody that likes Ghost Adventures or anything that Zach Baggins <laughs> exactly. does. Because okay, so... I appreciate the show. I do. I just, he is overly, overly absurd and obnoxious. Sure. That's all I'm getting I mean, at. It... Yeah. Oh, very much. Yeah, he's just very, just he plays it off too he's much. He's just super I think aggro is the and annoys me. Anyhow, I think he's probably a way nicer guy in person, off camera. You know? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sure he is, for sure. So, super interesting though. In 2016, after John moved out, after John and Joyce left, okay, or no, it was as they were leaving. Because in the interview, you can see like boxes. That they were like, we're packed up, right? He does. He did an interview with the Camelot Project. I'm not. I don't know a ton about them, but they're like, they do some. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure a lot, but they do like you know things in this realm. Um, but they did an interview, and during the interview, you can see in the video, in the background, a small gray figure like peeks out from behind the corner, in the house, and like you just get like a glimpse of it and they didn't even notice it during the interview until they were like editing the interview was when they caught it so that one was a small gray but they described these as uh what being like five five foot or four feet tall cold black skin basically just being just dark figures shadow i mean unless just it was just too dark to really see like any type of skin complexion or anything like that yeah um you know so i'll buy that I'll buy it for sure. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. It's the footage is pretty cool. We'll for sure be posting it. But like it's yeah. It's quick, but it's it's pretty convinced it looks humanoid. Like you just get kind of the edge of it, but just like the way it moves. Yeah. It's pretty I'm pretty convinced it isn't just like it isn't just like a coat moving or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it looks alive. Awesome. Well that uh it's so just to make sure it's not like you're super very like uh think of, of the movie signs like you know the alien passing by the window on the birthday party it's not like anything like that just very overly like um i don't even know the word for it but like machiney no. uh, to me it was like yeah no okay okay kind of more you fluid, don't even yeah. get a lot of movement awesome. really it just like edges out from around the corner and then goes back like it's it's pretty quick, yeah. So, when they had moved in, uh, the previous owners all the basically all their stuff was still there, um, even down to I mean their beds being turned over. Like literally, I mean it sounds like it was probably a fully furnished house at that point. And then they reached out to the realtor. The realtor in turn reaching out to the previous owners, letting them know they need to get their shit. And then the next day, they find all their shit broken and thrown into the pool? Yeah. Okay. Huh. 
they never they never found anything out like never i mean the previous owners had never yes. never went there either like, like the pool was empty in the backyard and it was just so filled strange. up with all the like, furniture and why, shit it was just I mean, busted up even and if, thrown you know, even into if, the pool it's this alien race uh, and there was a never an explanation for that ultra terrestrial whatever you want to call it because I, I know we'll get there um so this this being of some sort <laughs> nope they just Species. they're just like oh we'll take care of it for you we'll just throw them in the the pool and you know, like <laughs> why i mean that that to me i i thought was it stood out a lot um and maybe that was something that something really didn't even take it away take away from this but to me that stood out quite a bit like why would why would it just be thrown in this empty pool and why would it just be like you know shot to shit and broken and everything like what you know there seems to be some type of uh, of a deeper meaning into that for me at least and maybe i'm again i'm buying into it too much yeah but i think it's definitely weird for sure that's what i was about to get into right. next yes no it's weird as hell it really is like my thoughts on that were either the fellow who comes up who came up initially and you know said that he was there for hunting monsters I may he may have been involved in clearing out the house. So did we ever hear back from this guy? Because and it when he basically is you know, John tells him like he basically has the has it under control and the guy like, you know, tells him he's gonna be sorry basically, and that was that was all he ever heard of it. So why I guess to me it would make more sense as John to try and reach out to this person that has been in charge of the land. Cause what does he know that nobody else knows? What is he doing that is so significant to take care of this property? Like, is he like, maybe to me, maybe he's an alien. Maybe he's some cast out alien that uh you know is is now trying to prevent anything else from happening like and i know that's that's fishing that's fishing a lot like i'm i'm reaching i'm reaching a ton but <laughs> but so in my reaching here like just hear me out so you know so you think of this guy he's been in charge of and we don't know for sure because i'm sure he didn't ask the previous owner hey who's this guy that says their clients he's doing this or that or whatever like but at the same time like you have this guy that claims to be in charge of securing the property like watching over everything to me i would have heard him out a little bit like i mean granted the dude's walking up with like a fucking machete or something yeah it seems a little sus but at the same time, like, you know, I mean, John's got a gun. You can't bring a knife to a gunfight. Like, it's so that, you know, he already has one up on him. So why not at least, like, be like, what did you do? Like, what is your job? Like, how do you know the previous people? What, you know, what did you, like, what did you do here? You know, and at least, like, is, I mean, yeah, granted. If I was in the same situation, I see some weird ass person coming up and, you know, especially carrying like a machete or something, I would probably turn them away too. But at the same time, I would at least be curious enough to know like why they're there. Sure. But why, 
why didn't he contact the previous owner and ask who it was to try and get into touch like and get in touch with him that's what that's why i added this in the story was because john like mentioned in one of the interviews that i watched that like sending that guy away was one of the biggest mistakes he made and that he literally laid in bed thinking about like he would literally lay in bed thinking like what the hell did i do i mean like i could have had an ally in this i would be like hey uh, you know we're like i'm just curious as you know have you ever experienced like you know like at least ask you know like something because i'm sure that person be like you know well either that or they're gonna be like oh no we never experienced anything we just wanted to move you know that that to me but obviously they left See, in a hurry. he never got in touch with the previous owner ever why did he not ever reach out to them and yeah. why didn't he try and get a hold of whoever came there to try and help out like yeah a lot of it just to me i i just like get your right. shit together bud you know that's what it comes down to like I, I don't know. I don't think he was a very, I don't think he really thought things through. And I think it took him falling asleep and watching his wife hovering over their bed to really get him to. Yeah. Right. I mean, he had the night where he couldn't move. He was basically paralyzed in the bed. Um, and we can chalk it up to sleep paralysis or whatever. Right. But obviously it was some, you know, it was the aliens. You know they're they've got uh, they've got some alien shackles on them, something, but you know that also could have been it could have been a you know in this case we can't dismiss the fact that a lot of it is probably may not have actually been occurring, could have been sure a, a lot in his head, could have been you know like a lot of it um like almost like a mental uh, I'm trying Projection. to figure the word projection yeah you know like something something that's being like sent to him something he's you know something he's overly thinking about it could have been something that he was also uh kind of a little bit of foreshadowing you know it's something that uh you know like it just i don't know you know it, it it's hard to really know for sure but you know obviously like uh, you know that's that's kind of the the angle I think I would I would like to look at, but yeah, I just to me this guy is a dumbass. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. that's what I have to I say. I mean, you're taking the thing is you're taking a guy who may be level headed and rational, but you're putting him in an extremely irrational situation. Right. Like it's really hard to know how you would react and handle a situation until you're in it. Right. I, I suppose you're right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've not, I've not been there, and it would be entirely different than right. I, uh, you know, I assume what I would think as of right now. Right. Um, and also in, you know, in that particular, in the moment, right? It's yeah. going to be a lot different. You know, there's going to be heightened emotions. There's going to be like, you know, just lots of other things that you're also not going to think about a whole lot too. You know, it's going to be that. Uh, you know that you're going to be very defensive you're going to be very like you know whatever else just trying to trying to protect whatever but at the same time after the fact 20 years no you're right that's what i'm getting at 20 years and his shit never changed like to me he's just screaming no, like yeah you're come right get 20 us. years like, he should have come up with a strategy 
you know <laughs> i would think yeah. so <laughs> like that just yeah. I, again i can't get over the fact that they spent 20 years yeah literally crazy. enduring that no there's weekly. a lot there okay first i want to tell you my favorite part of the story that i haven't told you yet okay so two weeks after initially going to the press john was visited okay. by two men of course he was black suits <laughs> black sunglasses <laughs> Black fedoras. He said they smelled like burnt hair and boiled eggs. You ready? Okay, so he says he saw them walk straight through the metal bars of the corral fence. They ordered him to keep quiet about his activities, on, the activities on the ranch. And then after the shakedown, instead of walking back the way they'd come, they walked across and the field and through the tree line. So apparently now, our men in black are apparitions. Yes. We have, <laughs> That's yeah. so silly. We have men in black now. That is so silly. I mean, I love the idea of traditional men in black, but not, I mean, they're real people. To me, at least to me, you know, like, I see men in black as real, real people. Whether they're part of some fringe organization, they're part of some ultra-terrestrial fucking whatever, like, you know, they're whatever. Like, they might be some... Uh, Police force. Yeah. Interplanetary, yeah. Uh, you know, group yeah, or something. I mean... Exactly. Yeah, that, that was trying not to go there, but yes. Um, you know, but I don't see them as being basically apparitions. <laughs> That can walk through objects and just disappear into the the mist, basically. I've heard some pretty weird men in black stories, like some high strangeness surrounding them. I don't know that I've ever heard one where they're literally passing through like walls and I've fences never and heard stuff. that. No. Yeah. But like I just love that like this story nailed the trifecta. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. We have abduction. Exactly. Attempt. I mean, Cattle yeah. mutilation. The major three. Exactly. Like, but perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm I I do them smelling bad though is a common thing with men in black. Like, it's super common that they give off this like pungent odor. See, I'm gonna go back to Zach Baggins and their theory on some type of demonic force. Okay. Sulfur, first of all. Sulfur is a big one. Okay. You have this. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming it wasn't just like right. some nice poached egg or like something like that. It was going to be more like a, uh, you know, like of a more rotten egg. You know, it might be, it might be like an, you know, an omelet with some nice, uh, you know, mix of vegetables. Exactly. I don't know, but I'm going to assume that's not the case. <laughs> all right. So. <laughs> Probably not. So it's not an eggs benedict. No, not an eggs benedict. But we have, let's say, it's rotten egg. First of all, boom demon. All right. We have yep. walking through boom demon physical objects, apparition, ghost, demon, and then we have disappearing into the the yep. tree line. That can be chalked up into a lot of things. So let's just cut that out. All right. Anything. But so, yeah. again, getting back to my traditional sense of men in black, right? 
you know, and, and I get like, I get like the, you know, associating different smells and things like that with, um, you know, with them. It, that's where we get back into this ultra terrestrial thing. I'm on board in this case. You know, that's, that's kind of my thought process. Okay. But at the same time, I also, I, I love the whole fringe aspect. And yeah, I mean, your day-to-day -day person's exactly. not going to smell like sulfur <laughs> or rotting eggs or yeah. eggs Benedict for that matter. Unless See, a lot of people, a lot of skeptics to this guy, they say that like he at the very least played it up. Like he added things to his story. Yeah. I mean, and I honestly, I do as cool as the story is, I ha I'm pretty skeptical of it, to be honest. And there are a few reasons why. Okay. Let's okay. hear him. So the fact that the, that the shadow people that he allegedly killed like 18 of them and they just like power. Yeah. They just like phase out like power Rangers, bad guys when he kills them. Yeah. So that like no bodies, 20 years, 18 supposed kills. It's weird, right? You expect some kind of physical evidence. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. So also there's the sale of the ranch. Okay. And this, this for me is the most, it's the biggest thing against him being honest, this whole thing being real, or at least that it's not wildly exaggerated, right? So the market value of the ranch was a million dollars, okay? One million. When he sold in 2016, he sold it for five million dollars, five times the market value. That's like a 500% return. Yeah. And he had spent the last five years in the press, like pumping the story up, talking it up. And he's like, is this now my question here is, is this him just making the best out of a terrible situation? Or is it like a really creative marketing plan? For Maybe his, he was for looking to tar a flop like, you know, like exactly is again. That's such significant return on some like an investment like that they made. Did they actually pay a million for it, or was that just the? Yeah, no, they. That was that's what it was assessed for in the nineties. They bought it in ninety six for five hundred thousand. So that's a <laughs> thousand percent. That is a yes, return. a thousand percent yeah. return. Like that is nuts. <laughs> exactly. No, there is a caveat to that for me, which is the fact that someone was willing to pay five million for it suggests to me that maybe the buyer had confirmation of what was going on. I there. doubt it was confirmation. Like I can't imagine. But I mean, maybe, maybe they had just an experience the there themselves. Because you look at all these "quote unquote" haunted properties, right? And they're they're now very they're more than ever literally yep. more than ever and all these old shitty ass homes going for extremely over market value just due to the fact that they're quote unquote haunted yeah um you know there's been strange occurrences because yep. people buy that and like they eat that up and that right. is one of the best ways to market something at this point yeah, it, just because of how 
how mainstream and the media it's become. And this is something we were talking about before. Like this, the whole entire subject has become very, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, very open. It's not as taboo as it used to be. Yeah. And so I think that plays a big ass role in this. I mean, especially to return a thousand percent on literally, I mean, just this 500,000 investment that this guy made, um, you know, like that is huge. It's huge. I mean, he very well could have experienced all this. You know, I'm not trying to dismiss that because personally, I want it to be true. So, yeah, I mean, to me, what this screams is exaggeration. I feel like, I mean, this wasn't a guy who was super into paranormal stuff. It wasn't a guy who was, you know, I think that they may have had some experiences they got spooked when they decided to of course yeah to move on to sell and overly embellish like, every single how can aspect we get as of much it. out of this exactly. property as possible right yeah yeah that i mean that that makes right. the most and, sense and, yeah. to me and that's I'm that's not what saying i'm saying nothing too. ever like, happened you know i mean obviously something has stemmed from something here like you know whether it be just the whole them finding all the shit in the back in the pool you know, destroyed. Like maybe that was like one yeah. of those, like a, uh, you know, a little bit of sugar in the frosting, and then, you know, and then he wakes one night to see some shadowy, shadowy figures, and that's the icing on the cake. And the sugar in the frosting has, you know, already been in there. So like, yeah. you know, it, like that could be just a little bit of kind of both. Do I buy in the whole his wife? you know being sucked up in this beam of light and all the little portals and stuff like that probably not sure i mean yeah because why would why would there be portals? i mean maybe this maybe this little ranch is like grand central station for aliens maybe hear me out maybe it's another hot spot (laughs) (laughs) It is a fucking hot spot, all right? <laughs> Honestly, this is like less than an I mean, hour from the Phoenix yeah. lights. Uh, the Phoenix, yes. It's oh. it's um, okay. yep. it's an hour in the other direction to get to I, Snowflake yeah. where Travis Walton, I, I where suppose the Travis you're right. Walton abduction yeah. happened. Like, it's, yeah, it's a hot spot. I mean, the Southwest is a hot spot. <laughs> the Southwest U.S. is a hot spot, and it's the desert is a hot spot. I wonder if like some douches in another galaxy are doing so. a podcast going I hope like they listen to us is a hot spot. mocking them. They're like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I literally hope and yes. I ho- hope that all of our plays and our downloads are just these guys just like telling all their friends, listen to these fucking you know, these, <laughs> these dumbasses. <laughs> exactly saying no, everything's like, a hot spot they don't even right. know they haven't even seen hot spots <laughs> i'll shit you a damn no. hot spot <laughs> exactly so no but like honestly if you listen to him talk if you listen to does he john Edmonds does he at talk, least like, like maintain recount his experiences same, it's same really hard story not to never changes it. like there's never like, been any like slight yes. No falsification, anything to it. And you, nope. 
It's he's been very consistent and he comes across as like super grounded and logical. Like he okay. tells these like fantastic stories, right? Of like these wild things happening, but like he tells it from a very like logical like the way he tells the story, it's very right. like I did this. He's not just this. trying to play it. And basically. like every step of the story makes okay. sense. Yeah. And like also you can tell when he talks about it. You can tell that the experience has fucked with him psychologically a little bit. Like that he's like emotionally impacted by the stories he's telling. He's very believable. I don't maybe he's like a really, really good salesman. It's an extreme possibility. I mean, he's literally Man, just imagining, I mean, you know, again, I'm not trying to dismiss, but, yeah. you know, I, I, it's, I, yeah, I mean, that, I think, honestly, that can literally always an explain a lot. But, so, uh, you had said that Zach Baggins, was it an actual episode of, like, Ghost Adventures? I believe it or was Ghost Adventures. It was actually, I, I want to check it, it out for sure. I'm I watched it online, so I'm not sure if it was Ghost Adventures or if it was like on their YouTube channel. Maybe it was like an extra something. I'm not sure. I, I'll find it though and send it to you. Uh, and yeah, it's I, I want to check it out because I actually want to. Because do they actually interview John as well in the show? That's that's what I want to hear. Yes, because I think like I think yep. that helps solidify like or, you know, maybe it'll swim me in a different direction. I don't know. Um. Yeah. Now, John John did a lot of interviews. He did. You can find radio interviews with him. You can find TV interviews. He did that one with what was it called? The one where you see the little dude pop out from behind the corner. Okay. Um, the Camelot Project interviewed him. Yeah, and that's a pretty long interview. I watched that one too. That one was like thirty-five minutes. That he did. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm interested. Just I would I would love to know more, and I think make a, make more of an educated uh, assumption, uh, assessment. more of an assessment. Yeah, um, but you know, obviously, where we are right now, like I I don't know if I buy into no. it. I, it's a bit it's a bit far fetched for me to believe, and I want to. I really really want to, but it's I don't know if it's like. I don't know if it's silly of me or if it's, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just, it's a lack of objectivity or what, but like when someone profits off their story, I find it so much more difficult to believe them. It makes, it makes the information that much less significant. Right. It's to me like personally. Yeah. Well, oh, it yeah, makes you question out. their motives, right? Like, if, if like a, a weird dude's wife dies and there's a million dollar life insurance policy, you're going to assume things you wouldn't if it was just if there was no life insurance. Right? Every even even any normal person would question that. Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's the same in this case. A thousand percent return on literally a five hundred thousand investment. Like, right. That is insane. But maybe he just got yeah. lucky. You know, let's look at that aspect of it's it. Insane. Maybe he got lucky and there was some interested buyer that just yeah. wants to, and just as me, you know, I love the idea of abductions. Once I, investigate. Hope to, I hope to be part of one one day. 
<laughs> it's probably sure. never happened because I'm literally one of the most least, <laughs> I guess, least interesting people. I mean, John and Joyce Edmonds, you think they're like fascinating intellectuals? Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I don't think she was like a secret PhD or anything. I don't know. I, I like to think that like that he got five million for this because that that's just like the universe writing a wrong. You know what I mean? That like these poor people were tortured for two decades and like I love that idea. And here I think is the universe giving you exactly. some form I think of that would be great payment for that. But I highly you know doubt I mean? that that is the yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. That's what I like to think. Honestly, I think some shit happened and they used it, they capitalized on it when it was time to sell the ranch. That's what I think. I, I'm right there with you. Uh, as much as I hate to be, I'm I'm right there with you. It's like I said, I'm I'm gonna after this I'm gonna go and watch some interviews with John and see if I can you know, I'm a pretty good judge of character, I'd like to think. You know, I can often tell if somebody's bullshitting or not. You know, obviously, yeah. like, you know, I, who knows in this case? I can't say. Sure. I will never be able to say, but I can at least make an educated decision at that point. Yeah. And I I think it's it just super fun. I love, I, I loved the whole angle. Not, not angle, but yeah. the part of the wife, like, floating and being, like, Classic. literally in the beam of... I mean, yes. that's so... It's so cliche in classic alien abduction that yeah, it just, I love it, it. yeah, it I lo made for a perfect, perfect arc of the yeah, story. I, I really um, like it because it's like, um, you know, Stardust Ranch is almost like Skinwalker Ranch's like weird little sister. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's not weirder than Skinwalker Ranch, but like, it's like a small version. It's like a small version of it, right? So that's what... Initially, when I saw it, I was like, another one? Yeah. Let's see about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And also... And it, you said it was, in, it was... It was in Arizona, right? And with, like, Phoenix Lights and, you know, being very close proximity to... Like, maybe they're just playing off of that whole, that whole yeah. thing. I mean, Phoenix Lights was in 90... Maybe. 90-something. 90... Oh, man. Why can't I think right now? Uh, yeah, it was in the 90s, though. So, very... It was still very fresh by this point. Because this is the 96, I believe. Yeah. 96 to 2016. Yeah. yeah. That's so, when they moved in. you know, at that point, yeah. why not play off of that card a little bit? Or maybe it's genuinely correlated. Maybe it is. If yeah. this is where, you know, if all now these we're getting back into this argument, <laughs> I know, but like, it's the eternal argument, right? It really because is. We don't, yeah. we don't know if all these portals are popping up on their property. Maybe that's where all the ships that we're seeing in the Phoenix lights are coming from. I mean, but we've also talked about a lot of these like rainbow vortexes and all these random vortexes throughout the, uh, throughout the U S and also rainbow vortexes like in the UK and you know, so on and so forth. Um, but all these specific sure. vortexes, quote unquote portals, yeah, maybe that's part of it, you know, because it, it, just as we've discussed in the, the Black Forest and and also 
um, you know, other episodes. What was it? Uh, Kushtaka, I, I, one of them, where the Alaskan Vortex. Um, you know, so, like, maybe these portals that this guy is seeing are actual these, uh, actually these vortexes. Yep. And these vortexes, yeah, I personally, yep. and again, I know we're getting back into it, but these vortexes, I want to think, are a means to travel between worlds. Whether that's the world of the living and the, you know, the dead, whether that's the world of uh, another, um, uh, okay, what would it be? Uh, you know, not just extraterrestrial, ultra terrestrial, but would it be interterrestrial? Um, I'm not at sure that what point. you mean. Like so, going... I, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, you know, we have multiple, uh, sure. multiple dimensions, right? And then anybody from another dimension could be quote unquote yeah. an alien. So it'd be interdimensional. Sure. And so, which is basically an ultra terrestrial, <laughs> right? ultra terrestrial. <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So, uh, you know, like, and I, I think of vortex as being just that. A means to travel right. between a gateway, worlds, a bridge, a liminal space, any of those. Like, literally, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's what he was seeing, but just the idea. I mean, just the idea of like the ships and then the military craft and stuff flying between these maybe. portals and stuff. Just, I mean, you know, it made it a little a little bit far fetched to me. But that would at least give some type of explanation. Yeah, it's weird to me that like this man and woman are just like chilling on their back porch watching like a a damn extraterrestrial like blue angels performance in their back <laughs> 40 you know what i mean like yeah it seems no like doubt. a lot that's that's what like makes it seem so exact i mean it literally seems exaggerated yeah. i think so because again we hit we hit all all three of our majors yeah. that first that first horse mutilation freaked me out, though, when I was reading yeah. it about it. Yeah, that's like that's, that's a uh, bit nuts. I think it was bent. Yeah, a fence post. It's like an inch thick iron fence post was ripped out of the ground and wrapped around the horse's neck and strangled it. That's so crazy. That's pretty damn gnarly. Yeah. Now, what's weird to me here again, true, is that they had all these supposed horse mutilations, but. Yeah. There's no there's no um veterinarian coming out saying I examined these horses. Like did a post mortem on these horses and I know that they that that's common practice for cattle mutilation is to actually have a veterinarian come out and document do an autopsy on the animal. There's none of that with this guy. And also like the police like the police like investigations or whatever when they couldn't find anything. How did they not want to look further into that, too? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And they never called the police about the supposed vandalism that started all right. of it. Oh, man. See, every little bit just adds to my my not buying it. Skepticism. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. It's a bummer for sure. But it is, because it's such a like fun said, story. Oh, it, it really is. I mean, the I fictional ones usually are. <laughs> I just love the classic abduction. That to me is the, my favorite part of every, like yeah. this whole thing. It's just that this classic, very right. cliche abduction scene that just is beautiful. Right. That image of her like 
in the nightgown with her oh, arms dude. and the gown kind of draping down by her sides as she's floating in the light beam. Yeah. That's and a damn t-shirt right there. There's a, should, a should, couple surprisingly yeah. well done current movies that have been done like that with very very classic abductions which i mean i won't get into because i'm not i'm not trying to like you know rep any specific movies or anything but like when it's done and it's done well it's perfect and in this story <laughs> That right. was done beautifully. You've just seen it done well and recently. That's that's why that's why yeah. I want to buy into yeah. it, but I can't. Well, thank you. <laughs> it hurts me. You you painted it. You yeah, painted I'm a good. I, you know, I'm glad I wrote such a compelling abduction well. scene. Excellent. Awesome. Well, I uh, yeah, I think we're both in agreement. Sweet. Yes. Same. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think it's highly exaggerated. If anything happened at all, I think it was probably nothing compared to the story they gave. Okay, so I think, yeah, we're pretty much in agreement. All right. And that concludes Stardust Ranch. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook. At campfire.totsau on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thank you, as always, to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram um, for his song, Dying Star. That's from the EP Interstellar. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust, trust in the unknown. unknown.